Hi, this is Jill Jarris. From September 2017 through April 2020, this podcast was known as Olympic Fever. We've since changed its name to keep the flame alive, but we're committed to keeping our back catalog available to you. So please keep the name change and this disclaimer in mind as you listen to it. Olympic is a trademark of the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee, or USOPC. Any use of Olympic in the Olympic Fever podcast is strictly for informational and commentary purposes. The Olympic Fever podcast is not an official podcast of the USOPC. The Olympic Fever podcast is not a sponsor of the USOPC, nor is Olympic Fever associated with or endorsed by the USOPC in any way. The content of Olympic Fever podcast does not reflect the opinions, standards, views, or policies of the USOPC, and the USOPC in no way warrants that content featured in Olympic Fever is accurate. Thanks for listening, and now on to the show. Hindsight being what it is, it was probably the best thing for our sport. Mesdames et messieurs, the greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close. And welcome to another episode of Olympic Fever. I am your host, Jill Jarris, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Allison Brown. Allison, hello. How are you today? I'm exhausted. It has been a very busy day. It has been. We've been doing a lot of research. There have been a lot of announcements. Um, yeah, unexpected. Yeah, yeah. Do, should we talk about those now or save them for later? Let's save them for later. Okay, that sounds good. So I went to this documentary last night. They had a showing here in, in Boston that was a movie called The Stand, How One Gesture Shook the World. And it was about the Mexico 1968. It was about the salute that Tommy Smith and John Carlos did after their medal ceremony for the 200 meter uh, race. And it was really interesting and had a lot of information that I didn't know about how there was a group, an organization called the Olympic Project for Human Rights. And oh. that was, a, yeah, I know, it was an American group in that spoke out against racism in general and the racial segregation that was going on uh, in that time in the U.S. and in places like South Africa. And they thought about boycotting the 68 Olympics, but then the, decided, yes, the group, that group did, that group, yes. And huh. so then they were, they decided to go, but when... Tommy Smith and John Carlos meddled in the 200 meters. And there's a whole kind of interesting sub story about how Tommy Smith injured himself in the semis. And he thought that he wasn't going to get to race in the finals. So he, uh, he talked a little bit about that and how he overcame that to win. And then, you know, when they got to the podiums, they wanted to do something but didn't quite know what to do. And they had some beads and uh, one of their wives had a pair of black gloves. So they split the gloves. They wore their black socks. And <laughs> Tommy Smith was like, I didn't have many pairs of socks. And those were my Sunday socks. And but then they, they carried their shoes. That was the, no, they the carry other... their shoes. Right? right. And then it was funny because one of who else was kind of attached to them was the Harvard eight man crew team. Really? And this isn't, Yes. They had heard about what was going on and they did some like soul searching and they said, we support 
the Olympic Project for Human Rights and their efforts, and that caused a little bit of controversy yeah. here, too. And um, that was, and then uh, the silver medalist, Peter Norman, Peter Norman, yes, the silver medalist, Peter Norman, saw the buttons and he's like, oh, hey, can I have one of those buttons? And the Harvard crew guy happened to have an extra one, or one of the crew members who was watching the race happened to have an extra one. And he's like, are you sure? You know, do you know what this means? And I guess Peter Norman's family was part of the Salvation Army. So he was all about human rights. Right. But, you know, he's standing in front of everything. He doesn't really see what's going on. And the the salute actually seemed to be kind of improvised. You know, you knew they were going to do something. And then Tommy Smith raised his hand first and John Carlos followed in suit. And just, you know, it was kind of one of those when you when you win and you just raise your hands up in victory and pump them in the air. It was it seemed kind of like that. But that's not how it was taken. Right, of course not, because, and and the movie gets into a little more of what that was about, you know, besides the fact that there's that salute and just the showing of what the issues were going on in America and the racism that was happening and how they wanted to take a stand against that. So they got into some of the controversies afterward, and it was really a really well done movie that will hopefully get some wider distribution and or get on to video on demand. So I yeah. chatted with the director a little bit afterwards and hopefully we'll get them on oh, fantastic. Uh, the show. That would be great. But yeah, it was that's... really interesting. Yeah. A lot of stuff I didn't know. Yeah. I had once heard an interview with Peter Norman. Okay. Really? Yes. That was on NPR maybe a year ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and He's so I heard some of the issue with the button and, and some okay. of the, the fallout he received back home in australia yeah Yeah. because he would have qualified for 1972 and was not allowed to right so it was really yeah really yeah that would be that would be great that would be worth exploring yeah so so the um, stand how one gesture shook the world yes yes very interesting movie we'll keep an eye out yes exactly and other things to keep an eye out on our website if you go to our website, it's still populating with some new stuff, and we're populating out the back episodes uh, as we can get to them. But one of the things we have is a button to purchase items from Amazon from, and also all our book club books selections are on there with Amazon links. And hopefully I added Kindle links as well. But when you and shop you have through- a gift list. Yes, and website. we have a holiday. Yes, a holiday gift list, of course. And when you shop through our website at Amazon, we get a little bit of a commission, which would greatly help to fund the show. We have it's less than six hundred days till Tokyo, which is, you know, you think, oh, that's a long time, but oh my gosh, I'm really scared now. I know I mean, we've got a lot so to do much between to do. now and then, right? And. When we're in our Facebook group, you know, there's talk of maybe we can have a meetup sometime or um, maybe there we can do something special about the 1980 boycott. And unfortunately, all that stuff and all that planning time takes some money and we're trying to raise it however we can. And this is a simple way for you to do something for us without losing any money from your wallets. So we would appreciate that. You And if you would like to lose money from your wallet, you can buy some merchandise from us at 
Tee Public. There's a lot of sales going on all month, so check that out. And we post sales on, I know I post them on Twitter when they show up. So. I, I have posted them also on Facebook. Yes, and I have also. to admit, taken advantage of a few of those myself. <laughs> I know I have to I have to look because I know some people who are getting some Olympic fever branded gifts for Christmas. Yes. So won't mention that. any names. Right. But every little bit helps and keeps us going. So we would greatly appreciate your support. But on to today's show. It's been a a really interesting week. We wanted to talk about one of the, the big things that happened at the IOC executive board meeting this past weekend, and that was the checkup on what would happen to boxing and weightlifting because both were in danger of being pulled from the 2020 games. And uh, weightlifting's doing okay, they said. Um, they've got a, uh, the executive board said they, the International Weightlifting Federation made a lot of positive steps, like they put in a new qualification system for Tokyo. So the number of quotas per country, the quota places per country gets linked to their country's history of doping and rewards clean sport that way, which I thought was a really interesting way to deal with that. Right. Because the weightlifting problem was really the doping issue. That was yes. the only central issue. Right. Happening. Right. Right. So, and then they've also uh, suspended uh, they had a suspension for nine national federations for up to a year, although that, that started in 2017. So Russia, China, Armenia, Belarus, Kazakhstan, Moldova, Turkey, and the Ukraine were all suspended and they were monitored. So that was another positive step because they have a lot of issues with doping. They've into, uh, had new anti-doping policies and procedures that are a lot more strict and the, they've also got a new memorandum of understanding between the International Weightlifting Federation and the International Testing Authority for its doping anti-doping program throughout next year. And one of the big things was that they had no positive test results from the world championships that happened this past fall. But they also had like this exhibition at World Champs that had a lot of these banned athletes there. And the IOC was like, what's going on? You're still supporting them. But they're looking good, I would yeah, say. I, I would agree. They're looking good. Boxing, Boxing on the other hand. Yeah. <laughs> it is it is almost down for the count. Did you see uh, what I did there? Yeah, I did. <laughs> if only I had a a a, a, a rim shot. <laughs> <laughs> I've been planning that since we were working on the show. <laughs> I got more, so keep going. Okay, good, good, good. The interesting what they decided to do with boxing is freeze it and go ahead. No, I was just, this was weird to me. Right. So what that means is that boxing is taking measures, but I think the IOC is being a little tentative to say, yeah, okay, you're, you're good to go. So they've frozen it, meaning they can't sell any tickets for the Olympics. They can't do any test events at the Olympic sites. They did not approve a qualifying format for the Olympics, so the athletes don't know how they can make it to the Olympics at all. Uh, but the IOC initiated some kind of uh, a they initiated a formal inquiry. So the AIBA has another six months to really get its act together, and so they want to look into its finances, its governance, its ethics, its anti-doping, and its refereeing and judging, and whatever 
results they get could lead to a withdrawal of recognition for the AIBA, which is the international governing body. And this can only happen at a full IOC Congress. And the next one is in June. So really the decision gets made in June on what's going to happen. So they've been put on notice to say, you are big, you are up against the ropes. Right. I got more. Just keep going. <laughs> Good. And it's 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 interesting because the IOC, you can tell that they want to keep it in because they don't want to hurt the athletes. But there are so many problems at the AIBA with corruption, with transparency, with refereeing. They have had no big anti-doping thing uh, system in place. And now the AIBA has put out a what they call the new foundation plan, which says what they've been able to do so far and what they're planning to do next. And they talk about this good governance system put into place and anti-doping compliancy. So now they're WADA compliant. They're collaborating with the International Testing uh, Agency. They've managed a financial turnaround and created a positive cash flow and stable finances, which I got to say, I I would also, if I was on the IOC, I want to say, yeah, I want to dig into your finances a little bit yeah, more. Yeah, I'm really not so see that sure because, it's quite what it right, seems. Right, because they have like lost millions and millions. Uh, it was 40 million. They were 40 yeah. million in debt. And all of a sudden, they're not 40 million in debt. And how right. could that have happened? Well, they elected the new president. Right. Who is? Gafur Rakhimov. And he is this... A man from Uzbekistan who's been a part of the AIBA for a long time, but he also happens to be um, allegedly linked to organized crime networks and the international drug trade. He was not allowed to attend Sydney or London Olympics because the hosting countries wouldn't let him in. He can't come to the U.S.? He can't come to the U.S.? Nope. And it's interesting because there were no other candidates on the ballot, even though... A Kazakh boxing hero named Serk Konakbiev tried to run, and supposedly he didn't get enough letters of support in in time. So some of these letters mysteriously were delayed. Yeah, so that was interesting. Yeah. So we will see what Gafur can do with the AIBA, um, and and how their finances go, because you know the IOC also suspended payments to the AIBA. The IOC. Uh, funds every international federation that's part of the Olympic movement. And, you know, if you're not getting a considerable chunk of funding from the IOC, how do you replace that money? Hmm? Well, you've got an Uzbek businessman who somehow made $40 million (laughs) of debt disappear. I don't know, but boxing... They have had some troubles, and and I was doing a lot of... What's so frustrating is boxing doesn't, like, none of this, even though they talked about doping, doping doesn't seem to be the IOC's concern in this situation. That's kind of an add-on concern. Right. it's, It's like they're not, whereas weightlifting, it's the actual competition that they're concerned about being corrupt. Right. This... It has nothing to do with the athletes. It has to do with everybody around the athletes. Right. And but that ends up affecting the athletes because right. when you have the the corruption and error, well, you can maybe if you don't want to say corruption, but you can say the 
amazing errors in judgment that the these referees have done at one of the highest levels of play is is astounding and i mean there have been controversy there or there has been controversy upon controversy and for years you know, for oh oh going back to london 1908 yeah. i mean <laughs> i mean and there were some there were protests in in london then and in Amsterdam, 1928, they had a bunch of controversial decisions that led to brawls amongst spectators watching the fights. And yeah, so the U.S. boxing team had a, a decision against them and they whole, all considered withdrawing. And then the president of the USOC said, no, 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 we're, we, should, we should stay in. And that president of the USOC was Douglas MacArthur, who later became a general. Keep on fighting, Doug. I know, right? Right. Yeah. And then in Berlin, 1936. Oh, God. This was good because a uh, lightweight named Thomas Hamilton Brown from South Africa lost after a first round fight. And he, there was a split decision. And then he went on this eating binge. And this was a guy who always had trouble making weight in the first place. So he went on an eating binge. And then it was discovered that one of the judges had messed up his score sheet and had reversed the scores and the Hamilton Brown actually won, but then he couldn't make the weight for his next bout and got disqualified. You know, I was going to say, no, he's not a relative, but clearly he is. (laughs) Because that is exactly how I would react to that situation. But, you know, like the big mess of controversies that just seem to be and and those controversies i think in my mind i put them akin to like controversies in figure skating because there's always a controversy going on in figure skating right and but except for the 2002 controversy which totally changed the judging right and that was like the major major blacklist Uh, but the the judge sports they always seem to have some kind of controversy although with with boxing because there's actual fighting involved. I think people get riled up and want to fight themselves. As you will. So, but the big stuff, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I I delved into the the new foundation document Mm -hmm. from the AIBA. Yeah. And the most interesting thing that I came across, they fired all 36 refs and judges that worked in Rio. Right. I saw that too, because yeah, Rio had so many controversial decisions that it was that they let they let them go at the tournament, and they've pretty much severed ties with them. Yeah, I mean this. this but is the a refereeing mess. has been controversial. Like eighty four was one, the starting point for like major controversies, right? So we had some referees. Officiate, there was a Yugoslavian referee who officiated a match because, and then that was deemed a little questionable because whoever won that match would face a Yugoslavian for the gold. And he basically, it, it was uh, Evander Holyfield was fighting uh, Kevin Barry from New Zealand. And Holyfield was winning, but uh, the referee made some decisions during the match that said, you know, he he called uh, the fighters to break and said that during that break time, Holyfield improperly struck Barry and then Holyfield got DQ'd for that. So that the 
Yugoslav, in theory, would have an easier fight for the gold medal. Yes, in theory. And because then during that whole thing, during this this improper wow. striking, Barry actually got knocked out. And then because he was knocked out, he got suspended for 28 days. He couldn't fight again because of the knockout. And that meant the Yugoslav just got the gold medal handed to him. He didn't even have to fight for it. Wow. So yeah. that was interesting. And then another thing that happened was that the Koreans thought they had been treated unfairly during L.A. So the next Olympics was in Seoul. Oh, no. And this is this is a fight that there were there were a lot of issues in Seoul. One of the things were that there were so many boxing matches. The tournament was so big they had two rings side by side. So it was really they had a horn on one ring and a bell on the other. So there was constant you had to make sure which ring you were in to know when your round started and stopped. And oh, there were a Lord. lot of little little things like um one of the Americans was given the wrong time for his bout. So oh, I remember it. that. Yeah. I remember that because, they, you know, they were showing him an, an interview with him and mm -hmm. how devastated he was. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And there were a bunch of fights with South Koreans and different nationalities and things went the Koreans way. But the biggest one was uh, something that shows up on like contra biggest controversies in boxing history. This one always shows up. And it's uh, Roy Jones Jr. Uh, was fighting Park Si-hoon for the gold medal in the light middleweight uh, category. And Jones was outboxing Si-hoon like crazy and landed 86 punches to Si-hoon's 32. And the Korean was deemed the winner. Wow. So this is so, not a short-term problem. No, so this they had this, feels here's, inherent wait, to the wait, sport. This is, this is this is an even better de detail because two of the three judges who scored the fight for Sihun, they were banned. So three judges scored the fight out of five, I believe. One of them scored a, scored it for the Korean because said, Oh, well, you know, Jones really obviously won the fight, but we couldn't shame the host nation and have no votes go to that person. So I threw a vote his way. Yeah. Wow. That was amazing. So two of those three judges were banned for life by the IOC. And uh, it it really just was a disaster right there. And there were there was some money changing hands, apparently, to fix fights, that kind of thing. Then so that made the AIBA change its scoring system for Barcelona. And they moved to an electronic scoring system. Well, that went well. Oh my gosh, that went so well because yeah. the judges had to score uh, a a punch counted if three of the judges because there's five judges, there were five judges in the round. So three of them said that yes, that punch landed and they pushed the button within a second of each other, then it counted. Well, what happened was you were dealing with some older judges who may have had slow reflexes. <laughs> Oh, no. And decision-making processes. So there were just so many punches that did not get scored because three of them didn't get it within a second. 
that particular system was taken out, but there's still a a version of it in today's games. And the person who's going to fix this is the Uzbek crime lord connected to the heroin trade. Alleged. 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 Yes. The U.S. Treasury will back me up on this. Right, right. And I mean, and we could go on. We could do a whole show just on the boxing controversies. Because there's another one for, right. We're going to say how they can fix it. How can they fix this, Jill? I don't know. But you know what? They could learn from wrestling. Because they can learn from wrestling. Because if you recall, back in 2013 the IOC executive board decided to pull wrestling from the Tokyo Olympics. Yes, I do. Which is amazing to think that they are almost here and and you think, oh my gosh, wrestling wasn't supposed to be in. And wrestling had to make a lot of changes and then the IOC reinstated it that September. So it was a a scare for a good six or seven months, but wrestling managed to stay in. And while it seems shocking to those who are just regular fans, it was a good wake-up call for the sport. So we've got the dulcet tones of Jason Bryant, wrestling announcer extraordinaire, and the man behind matttalkonline.com to explain why. Take a listen. Wrestling has had some problematic years with... It's an, it's an OG Olympic sport, but back, what was it, around 2012? Where they were getting threatened with being Valentine's pulled Valentine's Day, oh my 2013. Gosh. <laughs> the IOC loves you! <laughs> Because I remember I, I was I had just I worked for USA Wrestling, the national governing body, which oversees mm-hmm. Olympic wrestling in the United States. I worked there for three and a half years. And after my, my oldest daughter, Lucy London, was born, um, I'm back in Minnesota and I, I'm getting texts. I'm like, you know, oh, they cut wrestling from the Olympics. I'm like, whatever. And then here comes another text. Here comes another text. I'm like, I got to check. I got to check my email. Like, and I got to check the web. And then all of a sudden, you know, it had been recommended. And, you know hindsight being what it is, it was probably the best thing for our sport. Really? Out. You know, it's darkest before the dawn, throw any cliche out there. Our sport was so in such bad shape with its rule set, with its non-transparency, with its almost dictatorship-like. Uh, I mean, people, you know, soccer fans might uh, might kind of relate with the, the SEP situation in, in, you know, FIFA. But what we had was is a rule set that was, for some reason, based on who wins two out of three periods. So follow me here. You're taking a one-on-one combat sport that has points scored, and now you're determining who wins two out of three periods is the winner. So in theory, you could beat somebody 1-0 in the first period, and the points do not collect throughout the course of the match. So it's a two-minute period, two-minute period, two-minute period. First period, you beat an opponent 1-0. Okay, second period, they beat you 6 nothing. Third period, you beat them one nothing. You win, you've scored two points, they've outscored you 6-2. to two, Holy cow. In the match. Now, there's also another thing, because there's been no overtime since 2005, so they tried to implement what happens if there is a scoreless two-minute period. Well, this is where, uh, you know, the collective face palms around the world. So they were worried about weighted discs, because they would flip a red and white disc, a red and blue disc. They were worried about them being weighted and always showing up a different color. So we're going to put balls in a bag and reach into a bag and draw out a color. And whoever gets that color gets to take it's the leg clinch. Then the athlete, let's say if it's red, comes out of the, the bag. 
this is wrestling, and this is how we're determining a winner of a period here. It's ridiculous. So then the red wrestler will then take a single leg attack. So he will wrap his arms around one of the blue wrestler's legs, and that's how he'll blow the whistle. And then the red wrestler scores, he wins. Oh, wow. Wrestler defends, he wins. So that's how we're determining period winners, is drawing balls out of a bag. Wow. Oh, it and <laughs> best two out of three periods were uh, – the the video review system was still in its infancy. There there were it just it was it was bad. It was so bad. Greco had changed rule sets. I mean there were every and there were drastic rule changes from one year to the next. That's one thing American wrestling fans really get annoyed with with international wrestling, is how almost on a dime that United well what was used to be known as FILA now it's United World Wrestling the old FILA regime would just change rules like in the middle of the week. And there could be a continental championship that that has Olympic bursts on the line because you know you, you don't your individuals don't qualify for the Olympics the country qualifies okay. uh, the, the weight class for the Olympics so you can have a, a rule set being put into place right before a continental qualifier and nobody except for the referees know how these things are going to be scored so we had just no streaming there was very little social media um, there there was nothing really the only two countries that were really putting out considerable international news was USA wrestling, which is the mat.com, mm -hmm. which is, they have a big communications department. You know, I worked there for, for three and a half years and, you know, Russia puts out a lot through their, their website, but India, India's coverage is, is, is usually really good uh, from their newspapers, not necessarily from their federation. So there was not really a whole lot of international news and uh, the, the international website would be just, okay, here's brackets, links, no press releases, no results, no rankings, no, I mean, there was a schedule and links to, that's the results if they got up, you know, wow. and there was no conformity. So, and there's, it, it was really just bad. And we're, we're putting these events in places that for, for, I don't know exactly why the junior world championships in 2012 were in Pattaya, Thailand. Okay. Thailand has very little wrestling culture. And it was, it was almost like an afterthought. It was like, it was in this gym there were stray dogs everywhere. I mean, it was, it was I mean, seriously, it was one, of the, one of the worst facilities that we're having a junior world championship here. Since then, um, we, we've, we're going to places that are now destinations. You know, Tashkent, Uzbekistan was the last time that, because that, that bid was announced before the 2013 layoff. And now we're going, we've got world championships in Las Vegas. We've had them in Paris. Now they're coming up in Budapest. Okay. Uh, so the next three ones are, are good. The junior worlds are in better places. So what it really did was, is it also caused a leadership change. The, uh, the president of what was then Fila, Rafael Martinetti, a former, uh, you know, he was an official. He was also wrestled some Greco, but he was, uh, he had his, his people that liked him. And then, I mean, it was basically, it was politics. It was politics. And he, uh, he was voted out and then they, they implanted this, uh, the Serbian businessman, Nenad Lalovic in his place and he goes, we gotta change this. And the consistency since then has been big. There was the push to, to get it back in, in the, the meeting in Buenos Aires back in September of that year. And we came up with a rule set that it immediately got rid of all this three period garbage. Okay. It, and, I, and here's the thing, I call it the binary code of wrestling because what we saw were matches being decided in scores 0-1-1-0-1-0. That is not wrestling. And some of them were just decided on ball draws. There were, I mean, you know, and in Greco, you you, you defend the position. Oh, their rules were even worse. I mean, you, you you draw the ball draw, then you get to go in the bottom position and try to defend. 
sometimes people would win world championships without actually scoring a point on their own. They would just wow. defend. So when 2013 happened and they blew up the rules, they blew up the, the FILA Bureau, they changed their name, they changed their branding, they hired PR people, they hired Bob Condren from the USOC, a longtime uh, media relations expert. He's the guy who coined the term Pony Express back in SMU football back in the days with, with Eric Dickerson and Craig James. The guy's been around sports. He knows how to market. Uh, he had retired, essentially. They bring him out of retirement. They hire Tim Foley with you know, Intermat. He's, he wrestled at the University of Virginia. He's got a journalism background. They, they brought in Bill May, who was a Japanese journalist who had been doing rankings for years. And they, they created a media, uh, a media wing, so to speak. They got a social media presence. They started bringing in coaches' education. They started doing a lot more stuff with Instagram. That Big Move Monday, there's a video team. I actually am part of their video team when I go to the World Championships or the Junior Worlds, and I'm doing voiceovers uh, for, for the moves of the day. So what they have, what it forced them to do was get better because you looked at who else was up trying to get those last spots as core sports, and their branding was was better. I mean, you know, the squash people like, yeah, squash, you can do this anywhere, and they put a big giant glass cube in the middle next to the pyramids. So I'm like, oh, that's wow. awesome. That's awesome. I mean, you can roll you can roll a wrestling mat anywhere. I mean, wrestling's been they rolled it out on Times Square. They put it on on the Midway. They you can put wrestling matches outdoors on football fields. Iowa wrestled Oklahoma State on, at Kinnick Stadium, forty two thousand people watching. So wrestling, what it did, it you know losing it in thirteen, it, it got a reorg, it got a rebrand. There's still some distrust there with with fans because you know it might st- a lot of the same players are still involved, but the focal points are now on wrestling and in in promoting the sport and you know it's it's a lot better than it was five years ago and and during that time uh, as i had mentioned i had moved back to minnesota and working for amateur wrestling news which is a long-running magazine and our our website the open mat at the time we're going through a merger i was there for that and i got a call from gary abbott and from that situation like hey we need an international news presence and i had been getting google alerts from all these the you know the international federation websites and such fila didn't have anything at the time so uh, that week, week or two later, I, I, I created an international wrestling news site called internationalwrestlingnews.org, and it's since gone. But basically, I took all the news that we had had on our open mat side, cloned the, the WordPress page, kept only the international stuff, and then started just finding stuff. And then uh, United World Wrestling, were, they were in the middle of a rebrand. Bob Condren contracted me to do some feature, feature stories and stuff, and we actually started putting out content. And this is one thing that we needed to show the, the IOC, look, there's international wrestling stuff out there. So uh, that was that was something that USA Wrestling had a, had a big hand in. And the Americans, let's be honest with you, really led the charge mm-hmm. in, in media push because the one thing is like, you know, Foley is now uh, they're, they're kind of their managing editor and, you know, hiring me to do uh, web streams and, and PA announcing. And it's like, you got to hire too many Americans. So it's like, well, we're, we're doing a lot of the work <laughs> anyway. So, but yeah, that was kind of the, the thing is like, yeah, it was it was a bad time. We could have lost wrestling. A lot of international federations would have de- defunded wrestling because right. the in the United States, our Olympic movement is not funded by the government, whereas a lot of places it is like, you know, Russia's government funds uh, their wrestling program. Azerbaijan has has huge oil money that's going into their Olympic program. And you, you've seen them pick up some imports from some of the other former Soviet republics. And they've been very good on their own, but then you're adding, you know, the Dagestanis to come in and really fill in their rosters. So it, wrestling is, is healthier. I wouldn't say it's super healthy. It's healthier. It is uh, it's a B minus right now on our way, trying, trying to get that extra credit and get an A, but it was a D D minus for a long time. Wow. Well, that that's really interesting that that kick in the pants 
helped change the sport for good. I'm a wrestling guy. I hate, I just, it, I love freestyle and Greco-Roman wrestling, but th it was so unwatchable, even as mm -hmm. wrestling people. And there's no wonder we're getting like 900 maybe for our world team trials to determine our best athletes in the world to go to the, go to the world championships. Olympic trials are a little, little wonky because the Olympic trials, the Olympic year is always going to draw a big crowd no matter mm -hmm. where it is, even with the style. But, oh, that 2005 to 2012 into 13 before they changed the rules in 13 was just, it was, it was so bad. So bad. Thank you so much, Jason. Check out Jason's podcast at matttalkonline.com and wherever you listen to podcasts. You can follow him on Facebook at Matt Talk Online, and that's Matt with one T. And on Twitter, he is Jason M. Bryant. So, yeah, it was crazy to hear how much of a mess wrestling was in. I was surprised. I didn't. I, yeah. I, I remember the controversy at the time and thinking, oh, we can't not have wrestling that's so integral. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to, an original sport. What, right. I mean, an original, original sport like... Yes. From Athens, ancient, yeah, ancient Greece, and but to hear Jason explain why it was such a mess, and some of it was similar. The scoring was problematic. You had some not so great, questionable leadership. So, but the thing that Jason said is, you know, they cleaned house. Yeah, and boxing's got to do the same. Yeah. I can't see how they can rescue themselves without, you know, wiping the slate. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. You got to hope that they, this is really a wake up call. I, and I got to say, I'm not really hopeful. I know. I'm, I'm hopeful that, but I think the IOC will have something. I hope so. You know, if they say, okay, the AIBA is not going to be there, but we'll have some kind of boxing tournament. But, you're still going to end up with AIBA refs and judges. Yeah. And, you know, that's an issue. Although they are implementing more training and better ways of evaluating them. But, you know, how long is that going to take? I mean, I can tell you, um, that stuff takes years to implement. Big organizations move slowly. True. But wrestling got they did, Yeah, they did get it yeah, real quick. In, in six months. I mean, they yeah. made big leaps enough to at least be on the right track. So, yeah. so for the athlete's sake, I hope boxing can do it. Because those kids have been training all their lives. Oh, yeah. They're, they're you know, less than two full years out. They, they deserve their shot. And they should not get their shot taken away by thugs. alleged thugs. That's frustrating. And I mean, like, sports come and go from the Olympic program all the time. Yes. But but it's usually because for for reasons directly related to that sport, right? right? Right. So we talked about lack of participation, like in things of cricket and croquet and lacrosse all left because only one or two countries were sending teams or there were safety issues. I loved reading about this. There was something that used to be called plunge for distance diving <laughs> the diver would like dive off a cliff and have to stay underwater for a minute get out of here and see how far they could go and they decided that you know people may die <laughs> so they they pulled that and they pulled something called dueling pistols because you would shoot at a dummy dressed in a coat and they decided that that wasn't a good idea <laughs> 
a wow. good idea to be a sport. And then we've talked about in Paris how they had the live pigeon shooting. Right, right. So that sport, you know, <laughs> was not taken out. And then polo, I didn't realize, had been in the Olympics. Yes, yeah. They back pulled with, it out because the they couldn't transport all the horses. Right, yes. Cost of transporting horses is a big deal. Right. And like in Melbourne 56, they couldn't transport the horses for equestrian and ended up competing in Stockholm. Right. So, so anything else that's gotten pulled has been for the sport, not because of these other governance issues. Right. So we shall see. Yeah. Speaking of yeah. governance issues. Yes. USA Gymnastics. Another one that's having a bit of a thug problem mm -hmm. filed for bankruptcy. Now, wow. you would think this might be a good thing, like they're going to get their act together. But no, this is their attempt because once they get in bankruptcy uh, proceedings, the USOC can't decertify them without the approval of the bankruptcy judge. Oh. And the bankruptcy judge now can forestall all the lawsuits against uh, against USAG oh. from the athletes who were abused by Larry Nasser. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they're not showing me that they're really changing their ways. Mm -mm. That's just, that's bad. Yeah. <sighs> and I'm guessing they don't mind staying in bankruptcy as long as they need to. It's a reorganization, is what they say. Oh, okay. Reorganize this, USDJ. <laughs> Start protecting the kids. Wow. Wow. Which is incredible because also the International Federation just put a couple million behind starting a new athlete safety program. Thank goodness somebody is doing something for these girls. I say right. girls. Because it was girls in this situation, but... Yeah. <sighs> That's crazy. Also, following up from a couple of weeks ago, the South Korean vice president of curling has resigned over the allegations of abuse from Good. the Garlic Girls. Yeah, yes. that makes me that makes me feel better. Like somebody is taking this stuff seriously. Excellent. Hopefully, that will change. I don't know. It's it's so interesting how you're dealing with young people, and it's very easy to. Uh, flat out control them is and mold them and treat them horribly just to get results. You know, young people with very big dreams and such drive to achieve them. Mm -hmm. And these people abuse that. Yes. That's got to be the worst kind of the worst. I mean, like any yeah. abuse is worse than the other, but to, right. but to take somebody's dream and use it against them. Yes, I totally agree. So, so go FIG, going to protect some of these kids. Yes, I hope their new program makes a lot of changes. Yes. So other happier Olympic Committee news is that a provisional recognition has been granted to three sports. That would be Sambo, lacrosse. So lacrosse is Lacrosse back will in, come back, yeah. Yeah. And kickboxing. So this, what this means is that it's not, it's like the first step to becoming a sport in the Olympics. Huh. So they, they go into this big pool of international federations that are 
recognized by the IOC and they can get funding and they can apply, apply for development programs. And then maybe at a an IOC session, which is like the thing in June, um, maybe they'll get full recognition, which allows them more of a gateway into the Olympics. But of course, getting your sport actually into the big show is a lot more difficult. Yeah, that, that'll but be that's interesting, interesting to yes. watch. Yeah. And I'm so surprised we'll at lacrosse because they're always concerned when they add new team sports because that jumps the number of athletes so much. Right. So right. I kind of like that lacrosse is getting a shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't well, see, it, and it's, it's interesting because then that means lacrosse has a much wider reach. Right. Because you have to be in so many countries and you have to be uh, in so many continents and have that level of participation. So it's good to know that a, a sport is getting that uh, kind of recognition and reach. So Excellent. Moving on to our Team Olympic Fever update. <laughs> Tofu. Because we only have a little. Yeah, yeah. It's a little. It's a short Olympic Fever update today. Team members Nate Bartholomew and his lovely partner Deanna Stellato will be competing this weekend at the Golden Spin of Zagreb in Croatia. Which so has to be the best name of a skating competition. Right? The That's Golden really cool. Spin of Zagreb. That's cool. So hopefully they'll do well. I know in their last competition, Deanna was sick. Yes. And they just didn't do as well as they hoped to. So uh, here's to hoping that their programs are solidifying and they can really... Uh, move up to the next level yeah get ready for the u.s championships coming up yeah yeah it's exciting it's only about a month away is it real oh my gosh it really is holy cow so excited wow a little bit of saddish news uh ski jumper sarah hendrickson said she will not be competing this season she will be focusing on school instead which is good but not competing but the good news is she doesn't plan to retire from the sport either. Yes. So hopefully she'll get her schooling all done, focus on that, get some good grades, learn a lot, enjoy yourself, and come on back. Have a little time with Tornator Wallace because they are the most adorable Olympic couple. <laughs> they are so cute. Aw, that was exciting. Yeah. Well, on that note, we will wrap it up for this week. And we'll catch you back here next week for more Olympic stories. Really exciting. Next week, we will have Lindsay Mayo on. And Lindsay was one of the winners of uh, scouting camp, the next Olympic hopeful. She was drafted into the rugby development program. So we talked with her and got uh, the scoop on the show and what she's doing now. And then we'll also have a follow-up from season one winner, Josh Williamson, who I'm really excited to talk with him again so lovely so uh until then thank you so much for listening and until next time keep the flame alive stay in touch email us at olymfever at gmail.com that's o-l-y-m fever at gmail you can also leave us a voicemail at 530-763-3837 that's 530-70-FEVER we're on Twitter at Olymp Fever, and you can join in the conversation at our Facebook group, Olympic Fever Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep the flame alive. Well, that went well. Oh my gosh, that went so well. <laughs>